following presentation by Taylor Fragon Capital Management LLC is intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from Taylor Fragon or any other investment professional of your choosing. Please see additional important disclosure at the end of this presentation. A copy of Taylor Fragon's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request or at www.taylorfragon.com. Welcome to this week's installment of the Long Way Podcast. I'm Doug. I'm Gerard. How's it going, Gerard? Good. Excellent. I just threw that out there. It's because I actually like my name. All right. I like Gerard better than Jerry. Well, you you risk... It sounds like Gerard Butler. Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> it's French. I'm French. Yes. Yes, you are. Somewhere. And, oh, really, I am. Yeah, I believe it. You've told me this before. 23 and me says so. 20. <laughs> can they can they do DNA that says France? I don't think it works they like that. They give you like a map. Okay. It's not an ethnicity. Yeah. You realize that's going to be somehow used against us. I know. I was going to even go further into it, but I won't. So let's switch to what we were going to talk about today, which is what, which is we don't know. Well, we're no, talking, it's headline day. It's headline day. We're into something we haven't done before. There's a new one, headline day. All right, but you are you realize? Do you realize this kind of people could peg what day we're recording? That doesn't matter. We're recording this a little bit earlier than usual because Jerry has to leave town. We have a wedding to go to. Yes, the wedding of one of your offspring. Yes. So. I guess this will be a good lesson in the how how unimportant headlines are because these are this is most assuredly not evergreen content. This is perfect, actually. So I pulled on Philip Bloomberg, reliable okay. source that it is. Reliable source, yes. The first headline your of the evening briefing. You know, he was a Republican once. Bloomberg yes, once, once, and, and I noticed that not the, even much of one. The picture is of Carl Icahn. I uh, Carl Icahn. If you look at our blog post and, and search it, you'll see that we quote Carl Icahn. In our trashing of ETFs, he joins us in the trashing of ETFs, but I digress. Okay. So for the evening briefing, your evening briefing on Bloomberg. This is the latest in the day we ever recorded, by the way. It is late in the day. Yep. We have to hurry because we have places to go, people to see. America's X day approaches. Okay. The first sentence. I just love this. Well, well, I clicked on the wrong thing. There's still no debt deal underlined. And the U.S.'s so-called X date, when the country starts running out of cash and is forced to make painful cuts to Social Security payments and government payrolls is coming into view. How does America run out of cash? They just helicoptered, what, about six, seven, eight, nine, ten trillion dollars all over the country during the COVID pandemic. They didn't seem to have any problem coming up with cash. When they want it, they can find it. They can find it. Yes. Funny how that works. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has indicated early June, even as early as June 1st, is the day of default. The day we default? You can make this stuff up. Do they sit around and actually look at each other with a straight face and write this? I mean, this is, this is unbelievable. Wait, unbelievable. I've got one. Okay, I'm looking, at the, I'm looking at the front of Bloomberg. Most San Francisco residents think city is on the wrong track. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say, look, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I go there and I literally tear up. It is so bad. Is that because of the smell? No, that. No, you, that that's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> that causes even worse things to happen. But no, it's just so bad. 
It's so bad. But I, I don't know. Given the the state of of mind in that area for a very long time, it doesn't surprise me that that they're just figuring out that it, that things might not be going so well. Anyway, it's very sad. I just think of, I think the best way to relate the the difference in California now versus the old days is just look at the TV shows that were set in California. This is not Full House in San Francisco. No. Though Full House probably was, was not even, It's not, not even ago. Clint Eastwood, San Francisco. It's true. This is not Bullets, San Francisco. <laughs> was that Steve McQueen? He was. Yeah, yeah it was. So no, it, and 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 is there? A, someone asked me yesterday. A client, I believe, asked me. We have. Them? Is there a? We do. Okay. Still, they asked me if there was a way out for California. What's the way out for California? I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. Um, it's, 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 as I said, it's very sad. Uh, such a beautiful state, a history of significant innovation and entrepreneurship, but it just seems to have gone awry. I've got another headline here. Uh, just a day after Russia claimed victory over the destroyed city of Bakhmut. Now, let's just say this is horrible what's happening here in, in Ukraine. And it's very difficult to figure out who's telling the truth in this and who's not. And I don't know that either side is telling the truth. Just depending on who you read as to what's, what story you get as to, as to who's winning, who's losing. Although, don't we have to kind of look at that situation and say, was there anybody, including us, that thought that Russia wasn't going to roll through Ukraine in a day or two? And it's been what? I, I, well, it's, it's February 2021. Yeah, 15 months yeah, now. 15 months. Um, I got to say that's the proof is in the pudding that maybe it's not going so well for, for Russia. I don't, I don't know. But there's, there's something really that smells really bad about this situation. I mean, it just doesn't uh, – it seems like this is, is – uh, lining up to be another one of those perpetual wars. It's just disgusting. Well, this uh, is why I'm firmly in the strong opinions, loosely held camp these days, at least when it comes to, not when it comes to first principles and faith and things like that, but as it comes to politics and predictions, because no one saw this going on this long. No, no one. No. no one. And I don't know if you can't, Ukraine can win the war necessarily, but again, this is from someone who is part of the crowd that thought Russia was just going to roll over. They've definitely lasted longer. Miami Heat, roll Boston over. Celtics. I mean, yeah. So who would have thunk? Things happen. I mean, the conventional wisdom is often very wrong. And the more the wisdom is conventional, often the wronger it is for finding out, even about things that are politically neutral. I mean, in Russia versus Ukraine, that's not a value judgment. Simply, we thought Russia was more powerful. Military thought. I mean, it, it turned. It, it looks like, but again, it's it's difficult. It, it looks like it's been pumped up. It's pumped up itself and pumped and been pumped up to be something. I mean, look, they still have nukes, which is scary. Yes, right. Um, and what can we say now? Uh, all these years later, that it was maybe a little bit of a faux pas to let them continue to keep those nukes after we we won the Cold War. It's like, ah, uh, go ahead, keep those weapons that you know you could will obliterate the world. Go ahead. We didn't win the Cold War. It's just that communism didn't do it right. When they do it right, oh, then... That's right. It just hasn't been tried right. It just right. hasn't been tried right. Yes. Maybe we can put a stake in that heart. Why is it... There's this long history of overestimating Russia. 
That, well, I was going to say that that's exactly what I think is happening again. It's this great tragedy. I mean, Russia is a great tragedy. If you think about it historically, it's, it's got, it just has a real complex, <laughs> like inferiority complex. I don't know. It's just, doesn't seem to get it right. It was actually, I think it was maybe on the path to getting it right. It's kind of a little bit like where China was headed and until Xi took and took over and undid a lot of the things that were going in the right direction for China. Um, but that, that game is still to be played. Uh, the, the next one, there is another one. Um, it's a little confusing how they do this. Carl Icahn didn't see the Hindenburg coming. I'm having a hard time finding this. Okay, here it is. Activist investor Carl Icahn is vowing to press on after a Hindenburg research report. Okay, so it wasn't the Hindenburg, the, the thing that actually blew you thought up. He literally meant Hindenburg. No, Hindenburg. It accused his company of costly missteps that it was and that it was overvalued. Wait, who is naming their company Hindenburg? They're short sellers. I think, I'm pretty sure. It's okay, kind of like so that's their crash and burn gotcha. sort of thing. Okay. Um, I Fallout slashed fifteen billion something. off of Icon's net worth, but tucked away in South Florida's billionaire bunker, Icon will concede one point. He didn't see this coming. All right. So what does all this mean? See, so this is this is turning this back or bringing this back over to. Uh, oh, oh, hold on! I I step back a second. After OPEC surprised crude crude traders last month by announcing output cutbacks intended to scare off speculators. Saudi Arabia's top energy official issued another warning for short sellers. Hey, we're on the same side with the Saudi Arabia. We're going to be boycotted. I would just tell them, watch out. Wow. So you you look at this stuff and and this kind of ties into something. Actually, I don't think we've talked a lot about the 24 seven 365 financial news cycle. It never ends. Well, it it wouldn't be a 24 seven news cycle if it, that's true. You, you got me there. But what value is, is, does this provide? I mean, I mean, yes, we want to, what did we do? We both said, well, again, what, what happened in the market? They kind of turned itself rose up early and then went up down. Was there a debt ceiling issue? Was what was there? And we'll look and see what the headlines are. But we just, we just had what three, four headlines there. And the, 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 the evening briefing and not to pick on Bloomberg, you pick on anybody and read these and, and, is there any value in that? Is there any, is it really telling us anything? Do we gain anything from this? It, it ties into how, you know, at the end of the day, you, you have to do your own work. You have to sit down and roll up your sleeves and look into companies and see which ones make sense from a, from a pure reasoned, you know, hopefully somewhat educated approach to what makes sense. This this just muddies the water to such a great degree for most investors to be to be looking at this stuff and and trying to garner any kind of of value out of it. It it gets to the point. I don't remember who said this. It wasn't me, but I'm some parroting. I can't remember who it was. Probably many people have said the difference between information and wisdom. For example, you know what you have is information overload now, and it's even worse when you think of the social media's you know sphere uh constant literally second by second by second by second it's flowing with you know nonsense and garbage most of the time um i don't disagree or i don't i don't want to uh 
undercut or suggest that that it doesn't have its place and there isn't some value, especially from a news standpoint, if you're actually trying to get real news. And there are times when, you know, when there's events going on in the world and, and the, the, you know, the, the uh, Twitter and, and, and things like that will give you, you know, an idea of what's happening sooner and in real time in some cases. Um, but it seems that that's few and far between. And in the, in, in the, in the end, the, the overall value is, is, is quite limited. Um, and I, I, I wonder if this, what, what has been the fa- effect on investing and investment decisions both professional and unprofessional or amateur, if you will, investors, people doing it on their own. How much does this play into people making mistakes with respect to their investments? I, I suspect it's a lot more than, than people think. Um, you know, it reminds me of the Rip Van Winkle you know, story that we wrote about in our blog, which we've talked about, I think, on this podcast. You know, if you fell asleep in... 2007 and woke up in 2010, you had no idea. You really didn't have any idea that there was a financial crisis that happened and you, it really wouldn't have mattered in your overall picture and your overall financial situation. And that's, and that is really a challenge for, I think the average investor to go through the day to day overload of information that hits them and and, and then be able to make sound decisions, which is why having a disciplined, consistent approach is so important. Well, there to that point, there is something. This story is it's one of those stories that was repeated so often. I begin to doubt that it's true, you know, because again, it becomes conventional wisdom and therefore wrong. Yes, as often. But there was a study, uh, internal audit fidelity. You know who the best investors were. Between 2003 and 2013, people who are either inactive or dead. (laughs) I rest my case, Rip Van Winkle. Instead of 2007 to 2010, it was 2003 to 2013. 10 years. Only 10 years. Just go to sleep for 10 years. Wake up and you're in good shape. Twice as good. So I want to kick the tires on this a little bit because it sounds too good to be true. But on the one hand, it also sounds, the fact that it sounds very easy to believe is telling, I think. It probably is true. We all, we all know like, eh, that kind of makes sense in a, in a weird way. Well, it's a little bit like the Dalbar study, which we've, you know, I don't even know if I would imagine they're still doing it. Dalbar is a research institution or operation of some sort that used to do anyway. I haven't seen one in a while, but they do a study on. Uh, the success of mutual fund investors. It was a or lack of success. Or lack of success. It was a primarily a, uh, a a look at the retail mutual fund investor, and they would use the flows in and out of mutual funds as their means to be able to tell when people were buying and when people were selling. The science or the data, the the data science behind it is actually pretty solid. I remember reading deep into what their criteria and what their process was, and it it, it was pretty solid. And what it found was they would do rolling 20-year periods of time. And I have to believe it was 20 years or so that it, I, that it had gone on. Again, I haven't looked at it to see if they're still doing it. I don't know why they wouldn't. But consistently, year in, year out, that 20-year trailing time period showed, and these numbers aren't going to be exactly right, but the average mutual fund investor did like 
three or four percent a year, where the average, where the mutual fund tracked the market it, in general about eleven or twelve percent a year. Hey, we have a mutual fund. We do. And if you try to trade it, you will do badly. You will. Guarantee. You will do badly. I can guarantee. So. So I mean, but there, there you go. I mean, there, it, it's, and and they can, they attribute it exactly to like the hold average holding period for mutual fund, which is supposed to be a long term investment, was like. 14 months or some ridiculous short-term period of time. Um, yeah, it, this, and, and so, so we've just, we've taken a day where we were going to read the headlines and laugh, which we did, and there's good reason to laugh. And you can turn that into a problem for the average investor out there. And I would challenge, you know what, that same study I believe was done as crazy as this is with institutional investors. And, and I don't know if it was Dalbar, but it was a similar strategy. And believe it or not, it was a similar kind of outcome. Not much different, even for institutional investors. Um, pretty sad. I can believe that. The information overload is a real problem. And it's it's not producing better, better, happier people, better citizens, better investors. There's really nothing good that's coming of it except dopamine. <laughs> I got a good one. This, this probably can be our last one. Okay. This ties right into what we've talked about gazillions of times. Company earnings guidance is wrong about 70% of the time. Then why give it? We've said this so many times over the years. Why do companies get pushed? Why? Because this Wall Street wants to force them into this short-termism. It's If you look at the sell-side research, and I, I'm going to not mention any names. There are some that are, there. there's a very, very few that are very, very good. But in the aggregate, it's all geared to three to six months max, max. And in some cases, it's three to six days or hours or seconds. This is it's all part of the construct that pushes companies into, you know, into this short term. And companies have no idea what's going to happen in the next quarter. It's, they're, they're in business. They're trying to you know, you know, sell as much as they possibly can. Um, and and it, I would say in some cases, because this whole guidance game has gotten so important, they're trying to play a game of managing managing expectations and managing earnings in some cases, and it's a mess. You know, one of the things that's been, or a, a, an incident that was one of the most significant shots across the bow in my career was a conversation that we had with a company that we were doing due diligence on. And we started the conversation with the CEO explaining what we always do to new CEOs or new management teams that we talk to for the first time, which is uh, we're not interested in what your next quarter or your next two quarters or what your thoughts are about, you know, margins for the next quarter or the next two quarters. It's not that we're not interested in margins. It's not that we're not interested in earnings, but we really don't care what's going to happen over the next quarter because it's likely we'll own your company for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. On average, that's, common for us. And so what we really want to talk about is your vision for your company over the next five to 10 years. It was a, a remarkable thing to, wa- to watch, and this was in person, to watch the, the calm come over this person <laughs> and sit back and take a deep breath and actually be able to talk about his company. And he told us a story which was quite telltale of a previous conversation he had with another quote unquote investor. And the way the conversation, he explained the way the conversation went was, so I just bought 3 million shares of your company. Now, what is it that you do? (laughs) (laughs) 
that will that might be the single most important conversation with a manager I've ever had. And that company was Burger King. <laughs> I don't even remember what the company was, but I, re- I remember that vividly that we had that conversation and he was laughing and, and obviously in telling that story and we were dumbfounded, but then thought, no, that's not surprising at all. I just bought 3 million shares of your company. Can you tell me what it is that you do? But the chart looked great. The chart looked great. Anyway, all right. on that happy note. On that happy note. So remember to look us up online taylorforgotten.com and taylorforgotten.invest on Instagram. Send us an email long only at taylorforgotten.com and of course rate us on iTunes if you can. Until next week, I'm Doug. I'm Jerry. Thank you for joining us on the Long Only Podcast. Bye.